Just a quick disclaimer, this episode might sound a little different just because we did it over the phone. Three, two, one, zero, record. Heat in my vein like vernacular, cook up the beat with a spatula. Hey, welcome to the seventh episode of the Passion Project Podcast, where I try to find passionate people and learn everything I can from them and take you along for the ride. Today, I have Brady Cabe, who is a photographer. Thanks for having me. I'm a nature and landscape photographer, and I do a lot of astrophotography, taking pictures of the Milky Way. Uh, I enjoy taking pictures of sunsets and wildlife, and I also teach monthly workshops at the Morro Bay Art Center, which is a lot of fun. So just to get an idea, how do you get started with photography? I mean, I started taking pictures on my cell phone, really, and um, wanted to do certain things that my phone wasn't capable of doing, and so I looked into it and realized that I needed to get a, a digital camera with interchangeable lenses, and that's how I got started, and I haven't haven't stopped taking pictures since. Yeah. Um, so about the starting off with, you know, starting off with a camera phone, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people nowadays, uh, you know, if you're taking photos with your, you know, uh, phone... It's not really considered photography now, is it, like, professionally? Uh, I mean, that's an interesting uh, discussion. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of debate about that. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you follow F-Stoppers. There's <laughs> every once in a while they do a, a blog post or a video about um, how good the newest iPhone is and can it replace your DSLR. And, yeah. you know, almost always the conclusion is no. But, you know, it really just depends on what you're going for and what you need. I mean, if your camera has the capabilities to take the photograph that you are trying to take, then, Mm -hmm. uh, then it's, you know, still a photo. And, you know, I think that the saturation of images from, you know, everyone having a camera in their pocket has definitely uh, increased everyone's exposure to photography, but you know, it, it also has created where, or more, which I think think that hold to more people who may not have known they were going to be interested in photography, like myself. I mean, if it weren't for camera phones, I don't know that I would have photography. Uh, it's hard on my medium. I've done some painting and things like that, um, but it, you know, it's hard to say. But that it was something I was. Uh, something that I really enjoyed doing. I mm-hmm. never really stopped doing. I mean, I was taking pictures with my phone all the time and posting it online. Very proud of you know, some of the images that were maybe not that high quality, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as you know an opportunity, and uh, it's a, definitely an interesting conversation. Yeah, but there's definitely there's definitely limitations to what you can do mm-hmm. with your phone camera. But it is. I think the gap is getting more and more bridge for what I do with the night sky photography and landscapes, um, dynamic range and noise performances are the two most important things to me. And those are two things that are big limitations with a smartphone because the, the camera sensor is so small and those two things tie in very closely to the size of the sensor. Yeah. So um, taking pictures with a smartphone, I hit those limitations pretty quick when I'm doing, um, the yeah. stuff that I enjoy doing the most, um, but there, it, you know, it's great for portraits. Uh, can be, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of photography is is really about light because photography is, you know, capturing light. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you have a properly lit subject, 
you know, any camera is going to do a good job for you. Yeah, on on the subject of astrophotography and nature photography, um, what do you feel is like the uh, the beginning steps for someone if they were about to get into something like that? Uh, specifically, <clears throat> astrophotography. Yeah, astrophotography is something I'm kind of interested in. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, just having a sturdy tripod is the, the you know one of the most important things. It doesn't necessarily have to be something really pricey. But just something that's, uh, you know, maybe a step up or two from the most basic thing you can get on Amazon. If you have the, the, the budget for it, you know, getting a carbon fiber tripod is is great, especially if you shoot seascapes. Dissipates the vibrations a lot better than aluminum typically. So, I mean, I recommend a carbon fiber tripod, but if your budget doesn't allow for it, you know, just get something that's going to be sturdy enough to get a, a clearer photograph at night because there's nothing more frustrating than going out and shooting for a few hours and getting back and then looking at the images on the computer and everything's a little blurry or your stars are you know fuzzy things like that yeah tripod's the, the most important thing and then you can do a lot with with you know any lens but mm -hmm. um, you know a wide angle lens with a, a wide aperture is the best first lens for astrophotography or for the mil shooting the milky way something like a 14 millimeter f 2.8 there's a couple lenses out there you can get but for between two and three hundred dollars that are uh relatively inexpensive as far as lenses go and uh you can get really good re really good results with those so with a 2.8 aperture and i mean of course it depends on the iso settings and all the rest um mm -hmm. what do you really go for like is it called is it called the shutter speed shutter speed yeah because yeah, i understand speed. the longer the shutter speed the more light you get but also the you know the more susceptible you are to moving right uh, yeah and blurriness yeah, so you have to find a happy medium on that. Um, there's a few different formulas you can use, mm -hmm. but basically you don't want the shutter speed to be too long. Otherwise, you'll start to get trailing in the stars that you may or may not want. Um, so if you're going to print a large image and you've got trailing in your stars that was unintentional, then the stars will look kind of out of focus. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the trick to that is, um, you know, there's a 500 rule, which is not it's it's reliable enough to use as a rule of thumb basically you take 500 and you divide it by the focal length of the lens mm -hmm. and that gives you your maximum shutter speed before you start getting trails and you can go a little faster on the shutter speed to be safe um, that's what i usually recommend so like for a 14 millimeter lens uh, on a full frame camera you can get over 30 seconds before they technically would start to trail or be noticeably trailing depending on your uh wow there's a lot of factors too so it depends on how many megapixels your sensor is more megapixels it's gonna trail sooner because uh, it's okay. gonna pick it up more mm -hmm. uh, but it all really comes down to the print the, the size of your print in the end so i found from the stuff that i printed large the 500 rule works pretty well for anything up to 20 by 30 in size or even bigger yeah um, so i've got to work with crop sensors too the 500 rules yeah, so with crop sensors, you'd want to use uh, same basic principle, but it's a three hundred rule instead of five hundred. So um, I actually have a I have a blog post about that too. It's uh, five hundred oh. and the three hundred rule. Okay, yeah, uh, and the blog post is on. You just go to bradycabe.com slash blog. So, I mean, for someone who entered as a hobbyist uh, and you know not mm -hmm. traditionally trained as a photographer. Uh, I wonder how much you look at, you know, earlier photographers' works. Someone like Ansel Adams is like a famous nature photographer or landscape photographer. Is, yeah. Um, do you look back at those kind of people or? 
So, you know, that's a really interesting question because, you know, if you're classically trained or if you go to school for it, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you definitely learn about some of these greats and it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it, going about it the way that I did, you hear about some of these guys and then you run into their work here and there. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. There's such an oversaturation of images right now too. I mean, you can go to Instagram yeah. and just start scrolling and you can find, you know, a hundred different photographers that's that all have a similar style, and uh, they're all doing amazing work. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just an interesting thing. It's it's definitely different. I think if I had gone to school for it, I'd have a different different eye for it. I mean, some of the th- the things I learned just from taking art classes and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, I try to use some of those principles. So I think I probably have more of that influence than I have influence from someone like Ansel Adams or, yeah, I mean, that that's a good question. Just out of curiosity, what are you trained in? Like, what did you go to school for or um, what do you do professionally? So I have a degree in communications and um, right now I do sales and marketing for injectorsdirect.com. Okay. Uh, I get to use some of my photography with that. So I do all their product photography, social media images and then i'll be doing some videos to it um at, further on down the line okay but um but yeah that's that's what i'm trained in i i also have a minor in studio art um, okay all right so so you get the art classes and and that eye for the for the art from from your minor from the studio yeah, art. definitely and yeah. then my emphasis in communications was digital media so there was some video in there and yeah. um kind of a mixture of that type of thing, some video production and some Mm -hmm. of those things translate over to uh, like some of the technical things. And I did photojournalism with the the school paper. So I was, did a lot of assignments and sports stories and things like that. So, which was great because it gave me a really wide variety of uh, genres to shoot. Mm -hmm. I'm a little curious about this thing because I see a lot of people now uh, in, in the photography, you know, area on instagram and as you said with the whole saturation thing nowadays a lot of people are starting to uh you know look back to people like the classics uh the Mm -hmm. people who shot in film and the people who figured out different way of developing film and i Mm -hmm. see a lot of people going back to those analog methods and you know straying away from the digital because Mm -hmm. i feel like it gives them a specific you know edge or um a specific style so uh, what are your thoughts on that kind of, you know, reverting back to the analog from the digital? Uh, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, there's there's a wide variety, uh, like you said, and mm-hmm. you know, some folks are, are doing that. Um, there's a photographer, Michael Strickland. Uh, I worked with him briefly at uh, Really Right Stuff, which is a local company that makes tripods. And yeah. uh, he does amazing work. It's all film. Um, large format stuff. Uh, I don't even, I can't even wrap my mind around like the processes and the things that he does yeah. with it. It's, it's really neat stuff. You can probably check him out. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely kind of carved out uh, a niche for himself. Um, I mean, there's a lot of photographers that go through like a phase where they, you know, they're going to shoot film because, you know, I don't know, they want to be edgy. So there's, there's, there's definitely that that happens. But then there's guys like Michael Strickland who are doing it. And I mean, they're just doing it because it's their thing and it's, and they're doing a, a great job with it. I'm somewhere in the middle where, you know, I, I don't really have the desire to shoot film, mm-hmm. but um, there's the other end of the spectrum where guys are, are doing a lot of compositing and 
and sort of building images after after the fact or on their computer. And I'm yeah. I'm more in the camp of I try to get everything in one shot. I see that. You know, mi- you know, minimal post production, or I do everything in Lightroom. I try not to use Photoshop for. Uh, I mean, Photoshop I use more for like weddings and portraits. Mm. So yeah, I mean, there's just a there's a lot of different schools of thought on all that, and I just I just enjoy trying to create a, a single image that has impact. And but for me, it's just more fun. I have nothing against the guys that do. Um, there's some folks out there that are, that are doing really good composite work that's you know amazing. Yeah. But um, just for me, I just enjoy it more if I can get it just in one shot. I use filters and things like that in front of my lens when I'm shooting sunsets. Um, like I don't even, I don't use HDR or anything like that. I try to try to do it all in one shot using filters and techniques like that. I mean, that's, that's why I thought it would be an interesting question to ask you because I notice in your Instagram bio, you mentioned that all photos are single exposure. So, uh, why mention that or why is that important to mention? (laughs) Uh, I think it is just because a lot of folks think, I think the inclination is to assume that everything is Photoshopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's some people that are doing such a good job with the with the compositing that you can't tell visually, especially on your phone. It's such a small image. Sometimes you can't tell by looking at it. Yeah. And to some degree, some of that stuff, I think... Uh, I mean, it, it makes, depending on what the composite is, it can make the image less special. Uh, I have this one photo that's really special to me. It's uh, this huge meteor. It's from the 2015 uh, Perseid meteor shower. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a huge meteor. I didn't do anything to the image to enhance the size or the placement or anything of the of the meteor. It's just, you know, it's me out standing on a rock in the middle of the ocean. And then the Milky Way is behind me. I kind of set it up, you know, I framed it like that. And yeah. then I just set my camera on a timer to just continually continually take photos, and I just watched the sky and waited for a meteor to fall. And I remember, I still can remember that one falling. It was just huge, mm-hmm. and I you know counted off in my head the it was a fifteen second exposure, and I ran back and looked at my camera, and I just I mean it was so exciting to see the back of the camera in that image, there you know with this huge meteor, and uh, I just think for like certain type of composites you know, when there's too much going on with it, Mm. you know, when there's, I guess my (laughs) phrase was everything but a unicorn, you know, it kind of takes away from, you know, when you do capture something special, special, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I get it. Um, And it's not that I'm against compositing altogether. It's just, you know, if it's not tastefully done, it just seems, you know, if it's just for the Instagram likes, then yeah. You know, what are, what are we really doing? I guess is the question. If it's, you know, is it photography anymore? Yeah. Sorry, that's my dog yeah, I wanting me to him. throw the ball to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's hilarious. He, he will just drop the ball at yeah. your feet or on you until you throw it. <laughs> that's good. Um, so, I mean, I have friends that do photography, uh, a few of them professionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get paid to take photos of uh, usually cars or portraits or things around, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I have a friend and I mean, I'm not a professional photographer. So when he told me he took, he takes these photos on a, on a tripod and what he does is he (laughs) takes the same photo over and over of the same subject and just changes the exposure and Mm -hmm. just overlays them. So is that what you mean by when you say like single exposure, meaning not that, or do you mean just, uh, simply edited photos 
in Photoshop don't count as single exposure. Like, where's a um, single exposure? Yeah, line? so if it's for for me at least in my head, what I consider single exposure is just one click of the shutter. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so in a situation like with a car or something like that, I would, um, if I was going to shoot a car, I would bring in lights and things like that to light it up, like with uh, off camera strobes. Yeah. Uh, either flash like flash units or something like that to light it up to mm-hmm. get the look that I wanted and then just take the picture um in that way. I mean there there's definitely some use cases where using multiple exposures is really handy or sometimes the only practical way to light something like real estate images are the, the best thing I could think of off the top of my head that are you sometimes almost have to. You know, if the client wants a picture of a of an indoor Scene, um, you can, you know, put in a fake outdoor uh, image, yeah. like in the window or something like that, or you can take multiple exposures at different um, exposure values and then combine them and, and create mm-hmm. an image. So there's definitely situations like that where that could be the most practical thing. But yeah. um, there's the challenge too of like, well, how do I do it in one shot? And you know, is it maybe it's not practical, but is it possible? And if it is possible. Uh, you know, I want to try to do it because to me it's more exciting, you know. Um, so maybe if I'm trying to get an outdoor scene through a window and I'm shooting inside, I've got a few pictures of this. Um, I did some photos for the Cliffs Resort and, mm-hmm. you know, I just used flashes. So I'd set up a flash on a stand, you know, off to the side of my camera, exposed mm-hmm. my, uh, set my exposure for the outside so you could see outside. And then when I took the picture, it fired the flash and it lit up the inside of the room, which was, you know, Enough. darker than than the outside yeah enough and, to make sure I, that the window wasn't blown out in the background yeah so i just exposed for the outside for the window and then set up my flash to basically fill in all the shadows yeah i so, mean but i mean in some situations you I mean, if it's a really big scene you might need multiple flashes and sometimes it gets to the point where it is where it's not practical yeah but um but you know for me i like the i like the challenge so um just depending on what it is i try to stick to that yeah, a little bit of a purist, but you know, at the same time, it gives you a better understanding <laughs> of the lighting. Uh, you know, the the, yeah. the the medium of of photography. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't consider myself a purist necessarily, but I <laughs> do try to stick to that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one one exception for that, um, for my my own personal role is when I'm doing star trails. A lot of times, I will do multiple exposures, and yeah. the biggest reason I do that is when I'm shooting a meteor shower. Um, I'll take a series of images that are, you, you know, I use the 500 rule, set my exposure to that, and then I just take a sequential images over and over and over and for however long I want. And yeah. that's so I can get individual frames that have a meteor in them. And then I can take those photos and combine them and make a star trail too. So there's definitely uh, a lot of my star trail images are multiple exposures, usually anywhere yeah. from 40 to, to 100 wow. images stacked on top of each other. Yeah, so it's either a single exposure or, <laughs> or it's a lot <laughs> forty or a hundred photos stacked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so nowhere in the middle. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I if mean, if it can be done in two or three exposures, then, then there's probably a way to do one. it with one using yeah. a, a technique or adding adding light or a filter or something like that to balance the exposure. Uh, moving on from uh, astrophotography, I mean, although that's my interest, but um, actually, you know what? One more question about astrophotography because I I have this trouble personally when I go out to take photos. 
if I go out to, and try and take, you know, long exposure photos of, um, you know, the stars, mm-hmm. I usually am faced with two issues. It's either car lights or, you know, mm-hmm. artificial lighting somewhere off to the uh, edge of the frame that ends up bleeding into the frame. And the second yeah. is the moonlight. If the moon is out, yeah. then you can never get long exposures. So is there things right. around that or is, um, I mean... No, not. I mean, just planning around the um, the moon the lunar phases. Cycle. Okay. Yep, yeah. The moon exactly. Phase. And yeah. then for the external lights, just have to get away from uh, you know the lights of the city. You kind of have to just get out into the hills or you know just the edge of town. Usually, mm-hmm. like around here, at least we're lucky. Like it gets dark pretty fast when you get away from town. Yeah. Um, on on landscape photography now, just uh, because. Whenever I go somewhere and I see, you know, the beauty of a place, the natural beauty, uh, mm-hmm. I've come to this point where I can no longer take photos because I can't capture the beauty of the place and it just frustrates me. So I give up. <laughs> um, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know, you know, how do you overcome that or how do you actually, you know, get to the point where you can capture the beauty of the place in a photograph? Uh, I mean, the I usually shoot wide angle or really telephoto. So mm-hmm. what I'll try to do is, um, and that, that's a good question because it is tough when you get to a place that's, you know, especially if it's a place that's been photographed, you know, m- you know, millions of times, like potentially like, something. yeah, something like that. You know, you just have to, you know, go when the light's good. That's the biggest thing is um, plan around the light. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, don't try to force it. If you go somewhere um, in the middle of the day, and there's no clouds or anything to help uh, soften the light. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have dark shadows and bright highlights, and it's going to be really tough to balance that. Although there are, there are ways you could try. The biggest thing is just you know only take pictures when the light's good, when you're out there in nature. And then yeah, I would uh, I usually shoot either really wide or really telephoto. So I usually have like my telephoto lens ready to go for uh, you know birds and critters, things like that, wildlife. And then I have a wide angle lens on another camera ready to go for for wider scenes. And so, yeah, I usually try to find something in the scene to focus on um, and, you know, kind of frame my photo around that. So, you know, if I find like a really interesting texture or moss or, you know, something that's in front of me that I sort of frame my image using that as the subject and then mm-hmm. the background or the kind of the larger scene that may be really pretty and I'm not really sure how to capture it kind of becomes the backdrop to the the detail that i'm focused on what do you think Mm -hmm. of uh, panoramic photos on the phone what is that to a photographer who's you know does it professionally yeah i mean it's a pretty neat feature i mean depending on what um i've used it um i think the like one of the more interesting shots i have with my phone with a panorama is like a a picture of my son and i had him like he's running around in a circle Mm -hmm. and if you pan slower than the the subject is moving they'll show up multiple times in the photo yeah it's kind of fun to trick to try uh-huh. um but yeah i mean i i don't know i mean it, it's a like i said it's a relatively small sensor and it, you don't have a lot of control over focus and exposure necessarily yeah so i mean depending on what the light is i mean i would rather use use my dslr and if it's especially if it's like a sunset i'm probably going to be using a filter to yeah. b- help balance the light, so I'm, I'll probably just end up setting up on my, you know, my tripod and, and getting my DSLR out for something like that. 
Yeah, my issue is even with, you know, um, my small point and shoot, which is a decent camera, uh, yeah. it's got a panoramic function. But whenever I try and take a panoramic, first of all, it's adjusting, you know, the, the lighting for the whole panoramic, uh, panoramic view. And then the mm-hmm. second thing is the distortion that I usually get with panoramic photos. So I'm not sure, is that an issue of, yeah. you know, taking the photo or is that just an issue of the stitching and, you know, that's how panoramas come out? <clears throat> no, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit of both probably, but the stitching issues are coming from the, there's a, it, there's an issue with panoramas called parallax. Yeah. It's basically, um, it's hard to describe it. Basically, it's the position of foreground and background subjects in relationship to each other as you're rotating the camera they that relationship between the foreground and the background changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless you're rotating the camera on its optical center, which you can't because it's, uh, I mean, it, it, with your, when you're hand holding it, you can't, it's really hard to do. If you mm-hmm. use your arms to swing into the panorama, you're going to get a lot more stitching issues and parallax. than if you held the camera and just twisted your wrist to take the photo, if that makes sense. Oh, I see. So, the so instead of swinging your arms, rotation. just like, rotate your yeah so if you're the closer the the closer the lens is or the it's actually the entrance pupil where the lights come when the image is is entering the lens mm-hmm. the closer that is to the point of rotation the less uh issues you'll have with stitching oh that's a really good so, tip okay um yeah and the more detailed then the more detailed and varied your foreground is the harder it's going to be for a, a computer to figure out the stitch later on so if you don't have specialized equipment it Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you very much, Brady Cade, for joining me this episode for the Passion Project Podcast. I'm going to remind the listeners to visit your Instagram at Brady Cade and your website, www.bradycabe.com, uh, slash blog if you want the blog on the 500 and 300 rules. Uh, anything else you want to plug? No, check me out on Instagram, just at Brady Cade. I'm also on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Brady Cape. Perfect. Heat in my vein like vernacular.